Welcome to Connect to Capital, the podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm your host, Catherine Robson, Chair of the Scale Investors Board. Our vision at Scale Investors is to create a world where gender does not limit access to capital. We do that by putting our money where our mouth is and investing in outstanding women founders. But even more than that, we know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education and deep network that will enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors because we believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We hope you love this conversation and are as excited as we are about giving all entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. This week, we're lucky enough to talk to Frederica Nicolau, known to just about everyone as Fed. She's a partner at The Foundry, a team of health and wellness brand experts who partner with motivated founders to accelerate the creation of enduring global brands. As a female leader, Fed is passionate about empowering women entrepreneurs. Having faced numerous roadblocks in her own career, Fed has developed successful strategies to transform hurdles into opportunities for both career advancement and business success. Fed describes herself as a creative thinker whose weakness is she just can't say no. Fed, it's so fabulous to see you. It's my pleasure to see you. We were just talking before we started that you're on a six-week trip to the US. It's the fantasy, I think, that most of us have had over the last 18 months. Why are you going? I know you've got sort of four weeks of work and two weeks of some fun. What's the sort of work element? You know, can you put us in the picture of what sort of work you're doing at the moment and why that takes you to the States? Yes, of course. I am very lucky to be part of an incredible group of people who invest in wonderful brands. And one of the brands we invested in is called Fig One and they are based in New York. Through our relationship with Fig One, I've become quite close with the executive chair and she asked me if I would be interested in taking on a strategic advisor role with the brand for a period of time, which I have accepted. And I'm very excited to go to New York to meet the whole team and then I'll be working back here from Australia. For me, it's awesome because I get to go back to my operational roots and and reconnect with an industry that I'd lost a bit of touch with. So it's been quite interesting because going back and speaking to people who I haven't spoken to for maybe five years in the beauty and wellness industry from an ingredient perspective and and what's happening in the market has been really exciting for me. So yeah, that's why I'm going. And what sort of business is Fig One? It's a scientifically backed skincare brand. It was co-founded by a lady called Kimmy Scotty and a chemist and a dermatologist from Harvard University. Can you give us a bit of a sense of your background and how it sort of enabled you to get to this spot? Well, my background is very varied. I immigrated to Australia with my family when I was five, so I'm a first-generation Australian. From? Italy. And I remember being thrown into school my first week in Australia where I didn't speak a word of English that was interesting and I think that's pretty much my whole story has been about being thrown in the deep end and seeing if I can swim so I you know I watched my parents over a number of years they came here they started like most immigrants working in factories learning the language both being so entrepreneurial they very quickly started their own businesses My mum was a real risk taker. She was always the one that was like, no risk, no reward. Whereas my father was the charismatic, careful one. 
together, they were amazing. So, and I learned so much from both of them. You know, my father was an incredible boss, the way he looked after people, the way he cared, his negotiation skills, second to none. You know, when I finished school um, and I grew up working with them in their business. What sort of businesses did they have? They actually started importing tiles and dad pulled together a big group and they used to actually lay tiles. But Then as we got older, my mother opened a restaurant and that just blew up. So dad sold the tiling business and my mum and my aunt had started this business and my uncle and my dad and the rest of us, like I was 15 at that time, were all working 24-7. And so where was the restaurant? Uh, The first one was on the Gold Coast, but the one that probably was the one we had the most was here in Melbourne. It was called the River Dirty in Nicholson Street in Carlton. So yeah, I finished school. I was working with them. I went to Italy on a holiday, met a wonderful man, got married, moved to Italy. And because I was perfectly bilingual, landed a job with a business called Warner Village Cinemas, which was Warner Brothers and Village Roadshow had come together and and started a business in Italy. And there I got to work with incredible people and learned to combine my entrepreneurial heritage with corporate thinking and really the rest is history. I mean, I'm interested to link that back to that sort of operational expertise. Did you just sort of build up that operational capability and understanding on the job or or how did you sort of build up those skills and confidence? Yeah, interesting. Um, I actually started with Warner Village as an EA because of my language skill. I'd never really worked in an office apart from a short stint when I finished school with Qantas that I found very boring. And very quickly, my food and beverage skills shone through. So I was the one that was negotiating all the deals for the cinemas, the popcorn deal, managing the supply chain. We were a very small business. It was still a startup at that stage. So kind of everyone was getting in and doing everything. So I guess all of the things that I'd learned from my family over the years just naturally became what I was doing at at the cinema business. And then the CEO or the managing director at the time said to me, you know, you've got a natural flair for concessions and food and beverage and, and retail and you should explore it, but we can't do that unless you go and work in a cinema. So off he sent me, I put on a uniform, clean toilets, did everything, you know, Warner Brothers, they put you through the ringer, popped popcorn, ripped tickets and ultimately came back six months later into the business as the head of food and beverage And then from there, moved back to Australia years later with Village Roadshow, they offered me the role of the head of food and beverage for their global business. And yeah, I never really looked back. So then how did you make the transition into, you know, wellness and then eventually into the investor role that you've got now? So after I left Village Roadshow, I started my own company doing promotional products and packaging for businesses and the Swiss team were one of my clients. I was doing packaging for them because there were a lot of ex-Village Roadshow people in that business who had contacted me and asked me to help. And I was 42 and fell pregnant with my first child. So by the time my child was two, I was spending more time in China than I was with this baby who I'd waited so long to have and was talking to the CEO of Roadshow And he said to me, why don't you come work with us? You know, you should, because I said to him, someone's interested in buying my business. And I said, to do what? I don't know anything about vitamins. And he said, oh, you don't need to know about vitamins. We've got plenty of people here that know about vitamins. We need you. 
and that took nearly two years. So when my son was about four, by that stage, I'd sold my business and I started as the operations manager at, at Swiss and very quickly learned a lot about vitamins and, you know, my food and beverage background when it came to formulating and manufacturing and supply chain, it all just came back and it's same, same. So that was probably one of the most incredible journeys of my career. It feels like you made some really close connections at Swiss and um, relationships. So interested to understand the sort of positives that came out of the experience and, and whether that experience was, you know, all smooth sailing. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so from a people perspective, absolutely. Some of my absolute best friends still to this day are in Village and some of them were at Swiss and some of them were from my time at Village Rocho. So, you know, Radic, the CEO, for example, I think we've known each other for nearly 25 years. You know, it's a long time. The tough part for me was I came into a business where they were very growth driven. So everyone was focused on growing the business. And I am a profitability maven. So I could see that, yes, we're making all this money, but we're not so profitable. And I started questioning, you know, hmm, why does this product cost this much? And can it be made cheaper? And the, the most surprising thing for me was I came from food, right? Coffee has a value, has a price, has a market price. Sugar has a market price. In the wellness industry, there were no market prices. It was what you can get. It was like Cowboy Central. So then I started shopping around. Well, can you do it cheaper? And can you do it cheaper? And started to really, you know, my curiosity forced me to learn more about the actual contract manufacturing side. And I became very close with our manufacturers and some of them are still my mentors. They taught me so much about how to make a vitamin tablet and what goes into it and all of those sorts of things. So it was very challenging for me because changing the mindset of a business that was so strongly focused on growth, which is where I became quite close with Michael de Pinto, who you've met and who is now my business partner at the Foundry. And so then how did you finish up at Swiss and then how did the foundry become the, the sort of central thing that you've dedicated, you know, your work life to? We sold the business in 2015. As I said, the most incredible story, we were like on the brink of failure and then became one of the biggest success stories in the world. Um, how did that happen? Like how did you turn that failure into success? At Swiss. Um, I think that there came a point at Swiss where we all realised, you know, what we were saying before, that you can grow a business, but you have to find the balance of profitability. And we spent a year after I'd come in really fixing a lot of the things that were broken. And the most incredible thing that the management team or the executive team did was really take the whole business on the journey. So from the receptionist to the pick and pack team to everyone would come together once a month and we would see exactly where the business was on every level. There was full transparency. There was everyone knew what was going on right. and everyone was rowing in, in the same direction. And what that did was it created the perfect storm when the demand came from China and when the brand became very sought after. We had an amazing structure and platform for it to grow from. So we were, it was part luck and part a hell of a lot of work. And so there you were as a sort of team, you'd, you'd had that landmark exit. You know, as you say, it's sort of a bit of a reference point for Australian entrepreneurs. 
what happened next? What happened next is that the executive team slowly one by one left the business and I became quite close with the now CEO of the H&H group that bought the business and she asked me to stay on as director of global procurement, which I did and I stayed on for two years and was on the verge of moving to Hong Kong and Michael and Stephen were looking at starting the foundry. Stephen Ring? Stephen Ring, yes, the co-founder with his father of Swiss. And they were asking me if I'd be interested. And I'm like, no, I'm going to Hong Kong and, you know, life is beautiful and I'm loving being, you know, working with H&H because it was no longer just Swiss. I was working across all of their brands and I was travelling and I was really enjoying my job. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which made me really reevaluate my life and the treadmill that I was on. And at that point, I actually turned to Mike and Stephen and said, well, if you still want me, (laughs) I might stay home and deal with this small problem (laughs) while I um, continue to work with you. So that's what I did. Being a cancer survivor, has that sort of changed the way you live your life on a day-to-day basis? Oh, 100%. I always put work first. And I'm not one of these people who says, you know, I realised that I wanted to enjoy my life and spend time with my friends. I love working. I love working with founders. I love building businesses. But what I did realise is that I needed to slow down and really enjoy my job rather than just churn. And that's where the foundry really made a difference because Stephen and Mike are so supportive and the whole team really supportive of of enjoying your everyday life and your job and taking the time when you need it for your family and working when you need to work and, you know, not working when you don't, rather than working all the time, which is what I was doing before. Tell us about the Foundry. It sounds like such a great team. Oh, it is the most incredible team. So lucky. And, you know, we back founders. We really believe in small business. We know what it feels like to run a business. All of us have run multiple businesses. We understand what founders are going through and we just want to support them with our experience and obviously money, which we now have and can can support them with. But it's a pretty tight focus, isn't it? What's your sort of the parameters of your investment portfolio? We're quite focused on health, wellness and beauty because we do have experience there, but really we're wider than that. We're consumer brand focused. So You know, we have investments in Cariuma, which is a lifestyle shoe brand. Sustainability is big for us. We are very drawn to health, wellness, beauty, but certainly it's consumer brand. We go a little bit wider than that. Given the subject matter, what proportion of your portfolio are led by women? (laughs) We talk about this all the time. I would say every single brand we've invested in bar Cariuma is led by a woman. (laughs) We've had conversations before, not only is it part of your sort of investment thesis, but for you personally, it seems like an enormous passion to get behind female entrepreneurs. Why is that? Oh, 100%. Well, let's go back to the start of the conversation. I'm an Italian girl, right? Grew up in a family of where my brother was the kingpin and we were the support system. And, you know, even my mother, she's the most incredibly entrepreneurial strong, smart woman, but she was always the woman behind the man. She always stood behind my father. And growing up in business, I was often the only girl in the management team. At Roadshow, I was, for example, the only woman in the team. And I remember a new HR director came in who's now a dear friend and who lives in New York, actually. 
Demetra Manis, and she came to my office and she said, you know, you don't have to let them speak to you that way or speak in front of you that way. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, just the way that they interact with you. And I said, listen, lady, <laughs> I have worked so hard to become one of the boys here. I do not want you coming in and screwing that up for me. And she looked at me like I was an alien. And in my head, it was, you've got to be one of them, right? And you've got to emulate them. And my personality, which is, you know, nurturing and switched and I became this masculine, strong figure that people were scared of. And at the time, I thought that was the only way that you could do it. And as I have grown and, let's say, matured, <laughs> I've realised that maybe that's not the right way. And what I like to do now is to actually use my experiences to support women and to help them be their authentic selves in business and understand that you don't have to be one of the boys to get ahead. And you don't have to push other women out of the way to get ahead because that's the other thing. Like some of my colleagues who are close friends of mine, you know, where men really support each other, I would find that women kind of elbowed each other out of the way. And we had a director of HR who would say things like, I had to work really hard and I had to do the hard yards. And so therefore everyone else has to do that too. And I would go, well, hang on a minute. Didn't we do all that? So they wouldn't have to do it. So that was the real difference for me. It was a turning point and coming into the foundry gave me so much room to do that because Mike particularly, but also Stephen are so, so supportive of my mission in this, in this space. Can you just circle back to your opening comment about your mum's risk profile? The characteristic generalisation is women have a low risk tolerance and men take risks and that's why they're more financially secure and why they have higher profile positions. Having grown up with a mum who had a high tolerance for risk, how's that sort of shaped both your personal risk appetite but what you then assist female founders with? Yeah, it's actually quite funny because I'm like my dad in my own personal life. I don't take a lot of risk with my own money. And that comes from being an immigrant and having to migrate because of financial distress. But in business, because of mum, I'm the complete opposite. Like I see opportunity and I back opportunity. And there are times where, you know, we're looking at businesses that people say that's too high risk, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but you've got the right female founder who's going to see it through. Women are tenacious. They don't give up. And if you have the right idea, it may take a little bit longer, but it's worth the risk. And in investing, what you learn is the higher the risk, the higher reward, right? Swiss wellness being case in point. So I have been very lucky to be around businesses that have taken big risks and reap the rewards. I've also seen businesses fail, but you know, I've realised that you have to in business. If you're going to be in business, you need to take risks if you want to win. So thinking about the foundry portfolio or your own personal angel investments, what do you look for? And are there any sort of favourite companies you can sort of share with us and what you love about the companies? <laughs> wow. What do we look for? We back founders. I look at founders before I look at a business. To me, if you have the right founder and a good idea, things fall into place. So I would say definitely we look at backing founders. Investments that are my favourite, I think they're all my favourite for different reasons. I know that everyone says that about their children, right? But each has a special place in my heart. I do have a soft spot 
for one of the businesses called Conserving Beauty, though, because it was founded by my incredibly talented niece, who I've watched grow into a formidable businesswoman, and I'm very proud of her. So, yeah, I am personally invested in that business, and the founder is now invested in that business, too. Can you explain a bit about the business, what it does, and where it is on its growth trajectory? So my niece grew up knowing from a very young age that she wanted to be have her own business and she has always loved beauty. So a couple of years ago, when just when the pandemic started, she came to me and said, I want to start my own business. And I said, well, go write a business plan, you know. And she said, I want to do a beauty business. And I said, well, there's a million out there. What's going to be your point of difference? So off she went and to her credit, created an an incredibly strong blueprint for a sustainable beauty brand and the basis that she came back with is she looked at a product from its inception to creation and realized that all along the beauty supply chain there was a lot of water being used from growing ingredients harvesting ingredients extracting them bottles shipping there was just an enormous amount of water usage so she set off on creating a brand that didn't use water and discovered that you could make some really interesting products and have incredible efficacy just using actives because the minute you take out water, you take out preservatives, you take out all the things that people don't like, fragrances. So she has this incredible brand that stands for something. She reached out to the you know United Nations, met the team from the sustainability goals, got their opinion. She did a lot of work and came back with something that was really exciting and that she will be launching in November this year. That's a great name too. Yeah, it is. One of the things I've seen you quoted as saying is is that, you know, roadblocks in your career can actually be turned into opportunities. Can you give us a sort of sense of either what some of the roadblocks in your career have been and how you translated them into success and and then sort of from that learning you know what some of those strategies look like well my cancer for a start I would never be an investor if it wasn't for that so probably that is my biggest learning other roadblocks gosh there've been so many you know moving into an all-male team in Australia and trying to become a part of that group and get ahead was probably the hardest being recognized as a leader in in a very male dominated industry was very difficult how I used it to my advantage is that I just built really strong relationships with the team you know Radic and I became very very close during that time I was in a, a director of the business he was a young excited manager who just wanted to grow and and the relationship that we built of mutual respect is something that came back when, you know, Swiss came around and he said, I want you in my life again. So I think the biggest learning for me in business is that business is all about relationships, whether it be within the business that you're working in, suppliers that you work with. I just have a different way of thinking when it comes I think very long term you know I haven't spoken to people in the wellness industry for five years and I reach out yesterday to someone and it was like you know I'd spoken to them two days ago and we haven't interacted for five years to me that is everything because it means that you leave positive thoughts with people and you know people say everyone you speak to about me says you know she's really tough and really hard negotiator but she's fair 
And to me, that is what it's about. It has to be, every relationship has to be a two-way relationship. And if two people are always winning, that's the key. So whatever roadblock I've ever had, I've applied that rule. Make sure that everyone involved is winning or everyone is equally losing in your way forward, respecting other people and respecting people for the roles that they have, they play in the situation that you're in. You strike me as a fabulous role model for, for sort of learning from doing and putting yourself in situations, you know, possibly before you sort of feel ready. Or I think there's many of us who feel like we have to go and get a certificate to say that you're allowed to do something. How have you been able to do that and be... What's your advice for women especially who feel like they need to get that sort of external validation to give them permission to do stuff? Oh, that is my biggest... People that know me really well laugh at me because I say, you know, they'll come to me and say, oh, I was offered this opportunity. I'm like, great, take it. And they're like, oh, no, I've never done that before. And I said, yeah, but isn't that the point? (laughs) Don't you want to learn to do that? I didn't finish university because I met a boy and I got married and what have you. And, you know, I remember walking into my very first day at Warner Village and I had this block computer sitting next to me and calling my husband and saying, okay, I've got a computer here. What do I do with it? And, you know, when they interviewed me, they asked me, do you know how to use a computer? I went, yeah, sure, of course, no worries. I had never used one in my life. So, you know, because I've always done that, and that comes from my mother, you know, my mother's first job, she was 13. She was selling bras and underwear in a lingerie store, you know, very high fashion lingerie store in Rome. And in her interview, they asked her if she spoke English and she said, yes, I'm fluent. And she sold more stuff to Americans and Anglo-Saxons than anyone. And everyone believed that she spoke English the whole time she worked there. She never spoke a word of English till she moved to Australia. So, you know, again, it comes from just trusting yourself. Yes, of course, I'm always terrified. You know, I went to work at Swiss Wellness. First day I was in there, people are talking DHA and EPA. And I'm like, what? I'm never going to be able to do this. I came home and went, oh, my God, they're all scientists. And, you know, by the time I left, I remember one of my colleagues said to me, we went into a meeting and we spoke with a regulatory team and someone said, oh, Fed, are you the head of regulatory for Swiss Wellness? And he looked at me and he said, oh, my God, (laughs) like you've made it. (laughs) So, you know, my answer is just trust yourself and women are the worst at this. We do not believe in ourselves and men are the opposite. They believe they could do anything. And I think because growing up around my father and my brother, I just thought, you know what, to keep up with these guys, I'm just going to have to be like them. And my brother is an incredible example of, of someone who just jumps in and sees what happens. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, there are three, actually. Never, ever give up. You don't ask, you don't get. And the last one, which I tell everyone is, you just don't know what you don't know. So going back to what we were just talking about, you can learn anything, right? You jump in and you'll learn it. You just, it's not that you need a certificate. You just don't know what you don't know. In terms of how you've, you know, learnt over time and and assimilated information, are there people that have been particularly helpful as mentors or role models that you know have shaped your career yeah I think that everyone around me like every single person I've worked with 
Elle McPherson, great example, you know, the founder of Welco. She's taught me to recognise, you know, nuances in brands. She has this most incredible eye when it comes to brand and is one of the most incredibly intelligent businesswomen I've ever met. We have, you know, some of the most robust conversations about product and product development and, you know, her understanding of the wellness industry was just crazy, you know, and I've learned so much from Elle and the way that she has applied her knowledge to her own life. Susie Waldron, the founder of Hunter Lab, she's shown me that there's nothing that can't be learned. You know, when you say you don't know what you don't know, Susie's a marketer who's become, you know, a product developer who's gone into sales in China, not knowing the industry at all and becoming an expert, you know, an incredibly strong woman. Ara, the founder of Seed in the US, you know, one of the most incredible women great brand person but someone who's so true to her mission and you know authenticity is everything to Ara you know I could go on and on and talk about millions of of women that that I've had in along my career and men too the managing director of Warner Brothers who hired me you know he hired me as the EA to the HR department and within three months said you're now my EA and his EA went off to HR and he would sit for hours with me and explain a P&L. I'd never seen a P&L before. So, yes, I didn't get the degree, but I certainly went to the School of Hard Knocks and, and learned on the job and curiosity, having the curiosity and just really surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you all the time. That's the secret. And not being intimidated by that. It's always going to make you better in the long run, even though it feels uncomfortable in the short term. Look, working in the movie business, that was the most enlightening experience for me. You know, it sounds really cocky, but, you know, you meet Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman and all sorts of people. And what happened in that experience was that I realised that all these people are human. So they're just like us. And that was life-changing for me. You know, the first day I met Elle McPherson, everyone's like, oh, my God, you met Elle McPherson. What's she like? She's just a great Aussie chick. She's just one of us. And there's all these stories and opinions and, you know, out there. But I can tell you, I've met this woman and she walked the, the sand of Bondi just as we have. And, yes, she's had incredible experiences and met people that maybe you and I haven't met. But, you know, everyone that comes into our lives has an incredible story. That curiosity, it seems to drive a lot of founders and and particularly, you know, early stage investors. How do you satisfy your curiosity? Are there books, podcasts, things that you are hungry for to satisfy that curiosity? Yes, I would say a book that changed my life and that I read, try and read once a year is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That is a really strong reminder. There's a story in there about a man who's going to go to jail tomorrow and all he keeps thinking about is tomorrow is going to be in jail rather than thinking about enjoying the last day and what the day would offer before that. It is my go-to whenever I'm super stressed and we're worried about something or I start to project things going poorly. I always bring myself back to how do I feel right now? Am I okay right now? Is my family okay right now? Are the people I care about, you know, is everything okay right now? That to me is amazing. And then there's a podcast that I is my go-to, which is called, I hope I can swear here, but Unfuck Your Brain. 
an incredible woman owns that podcast called Cara Lowenthal and you know she's really helped me or her podcast has really helped me rewire my thinking when it comes to being a woman and being a woman in business for sure. And is she American? She's American. Never heard of that one before I can't wait to try that one. Oh it's so good. What's the advice that you would give to an entrepreneur who's thinking about taking external funding or looking around for options for funding? The advice I normally give them is don't give up. I have a positive and very bad, some people say, habit of all of the founders that I meet, particularly female founders. I stay connected with them even if we don't invest and I support them and, you know, Fed, can you join our board? No, I can't, but call me if you need anything because I don't have time to join your board. My advice to them is always just never give up. If you're looking for money, you will find someone who will be the right partner for you and My other piece of advice is, you know, know who you're getting into business with. Don't just take money for the sake of taking money. Ensure that the people that are coming on your journey believe in you and what you're doing because they will continue to support you if they believe in you and what you're doing. And any practical tips on how you do that? Because I think there's often, you know, that intimidation factor and that sort of sense of pressure that's a binary outcome. You know, like I've met an investor and they might be able to save my company or grow my company. So I've got to not be too challenging on the questions I ask them. But are there sort of tips to try and accelerate an understanding of what that investor is really like? Absolutely depends, right? If it's a family office, get as close as you can to the principal of that office because generally that is someone who's been through what you're going through, someone who will understand your journey and someone who you will work out very quickly whether they are going to back you or not. You may still take their money if you don't think they will or but the reality is that your success will be predicated on the people you surround yourself with. And that is just in life in general, not just with investors. I think in the equity space or in the VC space where it's really just churn, you know, in a lot of cases can be just churn and burn, fund investment, back a lot of investments with a lot of money to invest. And, you know, one of them will succeed. I mean, I've exaggerated that a bit, but it's pretty much how it goes. I would say, look at their other investments. And if you can speak to other people that have gone with that fund, because other founders will be very, very honest. Yeah, that's such good advice. Last question. What are the things that you're excited or optimistic about? Getting out of lockdown. (laughs) Um, Definitely my number one. (laughs) Very excited about that. Excited about the future. And also excited and bewildered by what's to come post-COVID. At the moment, there's a lot of money in the market, a lot of people investing in businesses, some businesses being way overvalued and to see where the chips fall and to see which businesses are going to thrive and which are not, to me, is exciting. Well, it's fabulous to spend some time with you. Thank you so much. It was so my pleasure. Thank you. We hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did and are fired up to take your startup journey to the next level. As an investment network founded by women, no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive, like scale investors. We believe education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both founders and investors. If you're a woman founder, Scale has two education programs, Scale Founded, 
a five-day short course combining one-hour live webinar sessions delivered by experienced investors and founders, access to an online education platform, and the opportunity to network with trailblazing women entrepreneurs. Scale Founded is launching in February 2022. The other exciting program is Scale Empowered, a 10-week facilitated series, an opportunity to put your learnings into the context of your own startup with a cohort of incredible women entrepreneurs by your side. You can find all of the information and register on our website, www.scaleinvestors.com.au.